Solomon was just 12 years old when he was made king over Israel to succeed his father, King David. Who here today is 12 years old? Raise your hand if you're 12. Only one? 11? Oh, here's another 12-year-old. Would you two just stand up so we can get a visual picture of what 12 years old looks like? Thank you. Solomon was 12 years old when he was made king over Israel. His father, King David, chose him, and there were many other sons in line ahead of him, but he chose Solomon to be the king that would succeed him. From the get-go, Solomon, at just 12 years old, had to deal with jealous family members and the possibility that people would make alliances and then set themselves against him. He undoubtedly had advisors, but any history buff knows that counselors and advisors can be bribed and manipulated too. So in a dream, King Solomon encountered God, and God said to King Solomon, Ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, Give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. In short, young King Solomon was asking for wisdom. And you can read about this at the beginning of the first book of Kings. In the days that followed Solomon's dream, when he asked for wisdom, two prostitutes with infants came before him. One woman carried a baby that was dead. Another carried a baby that was alive. The woman who was carrying the dead baby said to King Solomon that the other woman had rolled over her own infant in the night and before morning had come had switched the two children. She had exchanged her dead baby for the first woman's alive one. So she was complaining to the king that she was held a baby that was dead and was not hers. Well, the other woman protested this accusation and said, no, indeed, this is my baby, the living one, and she is just angry because hers has died and now she wants mine. And it says in the scriptures that they quarreled with one another. So young King Solomon made a judgment. He said, bring me a sword. And someone brought him a sword. And he said, let us divide the living baby in half so that each of you might have a fair share. Well, the first woman, the woman who had come in holding the dead baby, begged King Solomon, please don't kill the infant. Let the mother have him. Just leave him unharmed. But the woman who was holding the living baby said, yes, do. Follow your command, King Solomon, and divide this baby in half. And it was in their words that Solomon knew the answer as to who was the rightful mother of the child. He gave the living baby to the first woman, the one who had pleaded for his life, because he knew that she was the rightful mother. Do you know that story? Perhaps you've heard it before. Maybe in reading it in scripture, maybe you've heard it referred to somewhere along the way. But I want to highlight that as we know the words of scripture, we begin to see the wisdom that is buried deep within the words. It is only in knowing the words of scripture that we can look past the obvious and see the truth, the wisdom that is being communicated.
King Solomon is credited with writing the book of Proverbs, most likely because he was known to be a person of wisdom. Proverbs was written as a teaching tool for youth, helping them develop the wisdom that they needed to cope with life. In the introduction to the book in my Bible, it reminds us that these sayings were collected from the elders and that they covered many topics such as honesty, diligence, trustworthiness, the ability to obey, the ability to control one's appetites, the cultivation of true and proper speech, and the correct attitudes toward riches and poverty, to name just a few topics. So in our first lesson today, which is taken from the book of Proverbs, we see wisdom personified. She is a woman who has built a sturdy house in an obvious area. She has set her table with what is true and invites all people to come and eat. There is no prerequisite for being there. You don't have to have a certain level of intelligence. You don't have to be a part of a particular class or status in the community. You only need a desiring heart, the desire for wisdom. If you read about this in the ninth chapter of Proverbs, you'll see wisdom contrasted with folly. By knowing the scripture, you begin to see that wisdom is planted within the words. She says to us, lay aside immaturity and live. Walk in the way of insight. This verse reminds me of one of my favorite modern Proverbs, a saying by Herring Overstreet which goes like this. A person remains immature, no matter what his age, as long as he considers himself an exception to the human race. You know some of those people, right? <laughs> I love this saying because it is an invitation to wisdom. Realize that you're not the exception to the human race. Glean from other people what they've learned along the way. It's available to you for free. Take what they have learned and add it to your own story so that you might be blessed by wisdom. When I think about what we are to do in our church for young people, not only the ones I'm related to, or maybe the ones you're related to, but for each other's as well, I think that it is to help them gain knowledge in their faith so that they might have wisdom. We teach them the stories of the Bible so that they might know them to such an extent that they realize the wisdom in the stories of the Bible. We teach them how to worship so that they might know the words of worship to such an extent that they can experience the wisdom that is available in worship. I grew up the daughter of a Methodist minister. I was in church every Sunday and Sunday school too. It was Kentucky, that's where I grew up, and so Sunday school happened all year long, even in the summer. I remember in late elementary school being tired of hearing the same old stories in Sunday school. And I thought, when are they gonna tell me some new stories? It wasn't until several years later that I realized that I had been told all the stories. There weren't any more stories to tell. And as I grew up into adulthood, I realized that these stories were my stories. In knowing them, I discovered myself. In knowing them, I discovered God. I was invited to receive wisdom. I want to tell you a specific example of this. 
And I want you to hear the hilarity in this story. As passionate and dedicated of a person of, as I am, I don't take myself too seriously. So if you find yourself laughing, it's okay. To start, let me remind you of a story in scripture. You know the Hebrew people and how it is that Moses led them out of slavery in Egypt into the desert where they spent some considerable time, a generation, it's thought to be, before they entered the promised land. This is one of the big stories of scripture. I love to envision this story with real people. No sooner had Moses led the people out of bondage in the cover of night, safely through the Red Sea as they were being hunted by their enemies, into a new land, no sooner had he done this than they began to complain. I imagine the women with children running around making, playing a made-up game or fighting with their siblings or a baby crying and one of them saying to the other, what are we doing out here? It is so hot. I think it's hotter today than it was yesterday. And another says, yeah, and what are we supposed to eat? And they banter about how awful it is. And then they move to another nearby person and they start the conversation all over again. I imagine the men gathered together, smoking some sort of pipe, and trying to figure out what the plan is. Who's in charge here? And what's the goal? They complain that there's no sense of direction. After they've gone through their litany with one person about what is wrong with their current situation, they move to another and they start the litany all over again. I get this picture in my mind because in the 16th chapter of Exodus, it says that they were complaining. In fact, they complained and complained and complained. It's almost comedic to see how frequently that word is repeated in just a few verses. God heard their complaining and gave them manna and quail, and it is said that the manna tasted like wafers made with honey. In the 16th chapter of Exodus, you can read about how it is that God helped his people see that he would meet their every need. Well, by the 17th chapter, the people had moved from complaining to arguing. They wanted water, good water, and there was none to be found. So God commanded Moses to strike a rock, and from it water came. It says that Moses named the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord and said, Is the Lord among us or not? This story is written down so that each of us might remember that indeed the Lord was among them. He sent the plagues on Egypt so that Pharaoh might agree to let them go. And then when Pharaoh changed his mind and went after them in hot pursuit, God sent a pillar of fire in front of them in the night and a pillar of cloud in the day, leading them across the sea where the Israelites survived and the Egyptians died. This story is told to highlight that God was indeed among them. And then when they were hungry, God sent manna and quail to remind them in this story that God is indeed among them. And when they complained that they didn't have water, Moses struck a rock and made water come out to make the point that God is indeed among them. Looking at this story thousands of years later, we can read it and say, duh, yes, God was among you. 
So fast forward to 2003, my own little life in Montclair, New Jersey. Beatrice was a baby, and I needed someone to watch her. And I needed that same person to go and pick up Vivian from preschool at her dismissal time, and then to return a little later and pick up Gabriel from his preschool at his dismissal time, and I needed her to drive her own car. And I wanted someone who wasn't just going to make sure that her diaper was dry and she didn't stick her finger in the light socket. I wanted someone who would think about the fact that she's six months old and the things that she needs to engage to learn about the world, that would say little rhymes with her so that she could develop early reading awareness, would sing songs, would help her be physically active. And I needed someone who could work for about $1,200 a month and I decided I wasn't going to pay her under the table, so I was going to do her Social Security, which meant she would take home even less. I had a long list of things that I needed. I read the nanny book about how to hire one, questions to ask, the background checks to do. And I hoped. And I put out the word that I needed someone. And indeed, someone came forward, actually two people. But I had chosen this one woman, and I was so excited because she met everything that I needed. She came to our house to visit. This was kind of like the final um, meeting to make sure that we both were in agreement that this would work. She brought her two-year-old, which we had agreed would be a possibility that we could make it work that way. And as she came to the door, I remembered two things that I had forgotten to share with her. One was that we are in a second floor above a restaurant with a narrow stairway that she was going to have to schlep the six-month-old and her two-year-old up and down several times, along with the three-year-old and the five-year-old. And the other thing that I forgot to tell her was that we had a boxer <laughs> whose square-faced, drippy jowl was equal to her two-year-old's face. As she came to the door, I remembered these two things, and I was worried. She came in, the kids played, we talked. And I confessed to her these two things that I had forgotten to tell her. I brought it to her attention that she was going to have to carry people up and down this narrow and steep staircase several times a day. And she said, oh, that's no problem. We live in a second floor walk-up, so I'm doing that all the time. And I thought, good. But now the dog. We have a boxer, I said. I forgot to tell you that we have a boxer. And she said, oh, really? Oh, my in-laws raise boxers. When I was caught off guard by my surprise, God said to me, Whitney, did I not make water come out of a rock? Did I not make water come out of a rock? And my gut response, the words that came right out of my mouth before I could even catch them was, yeah, but this is harder. <laughs> When we know the stories of scripture, we begin to discover ourselves in them. And we begin to discover God. In the times of desert in your life, how have you found yourself the complainer? Perhaps your complaining comes out of fear or maybe out of frustration. How is God responding to your needs? What daily demonstration is God showing you of God's faithfulness? Perhaps you need someone to help you see God's presence in the desert time in your life because you are simply overwhelmed by your circumstance. 
My point in raising these questions is to illustrate that knowing the stories of Scripture invite us into the wisdom that is deep within them, the wisdom that is available to us all. We want our young people to know these stories just as we want for ourselves to know these stories so that wisdom can be found within them and made available to them. We want our young people to know the practice of worship so that they, like us, might discover the wisdom that is within worship and discover that is available to them. When Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, we are repulsed by the literal reading. But in the experience of knowing Jesus deeply and worshiping regularly with communion, we begin to experience the wisdom, the truth of the incarnate reality of Jesus' sacrifice. That Jesus actually does give of himself somehow, somehow, that we might have life. It's nearly impossible for any one of us to explain, but the truth of it remains, and wisdom invites us into that truth. Tomorrow night, we have a meeting to talk about youth ministry here at St. Stephen's. Parents of teens, the youth themselves, as well as people interested in ministering to youth are invited to attend. We will carry out ministry to youth this year, even without a youth minister, in, in, in our efforts to consider how it is that we want to do ministry with and for youth. Through our action of ministering to them, we'll discover our words for what we think God wants to have happen here, what God is inviting us to participate in. One way that each of us can minister to youth is by prioritizing in our own life our commitment to knowing the stories of Scripture and our commitment to participating in worship. Simply through that commitment of each of us, God will utilize us and break in among us and reveal the wisdom that is available to us all. We are being given the free gift of wisdom, and it is the gift of life. It is made available to us by the grace of God in Jesus. We seem incapable of finding the strength and discipline to receive this wisdom and life itself unless we allow the, the strength and discipline to be rooted in the love of God made known in Jesus. May we open our hearts to receive this love, this faithful love of God in Jesus Christ, so that we might receive the, wis receive the wisdom that leads to life. Amen.